It's the next level. Hey, my name is Ross Marquand and I play Red Skull. You are listening to Panels to Pixels podcast. Check it out. I'm booking this man for arson. He burned down a delicatessen on Jamaica Avenue. That is not what happened, sir. I was just out for an evening constitutional. Mm-hmm. Must be a case of mistaken identity. That's a lie. I saw him do it with my own eyes. Everything okay? Yes, it's fine. Fellas, this spook is accusing me of a horrendous crime. Who are you going to believe? Me or him? What'd you just call our fellow officer? Nothing. Sorry. Don't apologize to me. You apologize to him. I'm so sorry. We'll book this thing. But Reeves made the arrest. We got it from here? Yeah. Sure. Okay. Good work, Officer Reeves. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And this week we are covering Watchmen Season 1, Episode 6, This Extraordinary Being. Yes, a really good, good episode. And uh, it's it's really interesting with this one. I really, really like with this episode as far as with the blending of the black and white and the color yeah. and, and, and all of that. And before we get too deep into this episode, though, I do need to make a correction for my, of myself from the last episode. I think I was, I was pretty adamant that Adrian Veidt was on Earth's Moon, and it has come to my attention, and Damon Lindelof apparently has also confirmed it on his on the actual HBO official Watchmen postcast, postcast podcast that Adrian Veidt is on Europa, a moon of Jupiter, not Earth's moon. So that was uh, that was my mistake. No big deal. Uh, there, but just I wanted to own up to that in case anybody was shouting at their uh, their radios or at their, <laughs> their, their podcast phone. players. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, no, you're wrong. <laughs> and I really, you know, the the thing that 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 uh, really uh, occurred to me it wasn't it didn't occur to me until I started listening to another podcasts podcast about this episode it didn't it didn't even dawn on me that we didn't get wade's fate i was so yeah uh, looking glass from the last episode you know we have that that cliffhanger with the the bad guys coming to his house and it didn't even occur to me until you know after watching the episode that we didn't get that because i was so pulled in and i was so engrossed in the story that we were getting and i was so just I was just so glad that my my prediction from the very beginning of the season came true <laughs> that I I have said from the beginning and I have stuck to my guns that Will Reeves is hooded justice <laughs> and sure enough we got the confirmation this episode that he is so I was very proud of myself I'm not usually that clever <laughs> hey, you hit it out of the park with that one that's for sure and just to give everybody a synopsis of the episode deep under the influence of nostalgia Angela gets first-hand account of her grandfather's journey, which pretty much what, Steve, you and I were kind of speculating that if you swallow all these pills, you get 
whoever's memories are, but they're not meant for you. Apparently, it's yeah. done with chips and relinquishing all that information from your brain, and it allows yeah. you to get those memories back. But if you take somebody else's, it could be fatal, and especially since she whole, you know took a whole bottle full. You know, yeah, Agent Agent Blake makes it, you know, and she doesn't really, des- she kind of describes the process, but she doesn't really explain how they do it. But she says, you, you know, like Mike, like whatever microchips are put into a person's brain and they're able to pull those, those memories out and then uh, enhance them or whatever into a pill form. And then unless you have a familial DNA match with those pills you won't be able to experience but even if you have a dna match and you can experience those memories it still could be fatal to you and i think that's what we see throughout the episode as angela is in her coma and at the end there i think it was really cool the we us seeing at the end there we see this quick glimpse of june which would be Angela's grandmother, yes, the uh, Will's wife, the one who who leaves him, and she's she looks like she's talking to somebody, and she says, "I'm going to take you home." And I think that is her talking to baby Angela after her parents were whatever happened to her parents in Vietnam. And I think what that shows us is that the way out. When you have this overdose of pills that are not yours, the way out is that your memories have to eventually sync up to your own real memories. And so that might be her first memory as a child or as a baby or whatever her first real memory in her in her brain, whether she can consciously see it or not. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that represents that syncing up. And that's why she wakes up right after seeing that image of her grandmother. And then, of course, she's in Lady True's. Apparently, she's in Lady True's uh, house. Yeah, and I think we're gonna go into a lot of this within our top fives. I think so. I uh, I I very briefly scanned your top five, but I didn't uh, get too deep into them as I was typing mine in. So <laughs> I'll be interested to see what we both have here. Yeah. So do you want to go first? Sure, I will go first. I just I love how how each episode that gets that different title card and how like I think one one episode we had like a a, a typewriter dinging and it it was doing the Watchmen letters. In this one, we get the Watchmen title card changing to Minutemen with that smoke being blown out, and then of course a little later we get the title of each episode, and this one is shown on the back of the prison wall. As Agent Blake is talking to Angela Abar, so I really like that we get that that uh, these different title cards, and I'm uh, I'm excited. I hope they really I hope they release these on discs eventually, so that we can see those those title cards again. Yeah, you know I don't know if they're going to stream put them together or whatever, but I think it would be pretty cool to go back. And that's one thing that I'm I'm excited, even if I even go back streaming to watch specifically these different title cards and how. They apply to the different 
episodes because I didn't, it didn't really occur to me until this one that like the smoke changing the watchman word to Minutemen and all of the imagery of smoke and fire throughout the episode. Yeah. A lot of burning going on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, I'm sure they will put those out as uh Blu-ray and DVDs yeah. uh, in time. Usually they do. Especially if this is a one-off, uh, you know, if they actually just make this a one-off show and decide, okay, this is going to be it, because we've never gotten any information if they were cleared for another season. So, yeah. But uh, if they do, that would be great. And it's it's pretty much almost like a trend, because Walking Dead started doing that recently, too. Mm-hmm. So I think they're starting to implement that and stating, like, oh, this is based on a comic book, so we're going to do some sort of, you know, titling per scene like that, which is, it's, it's pretty cool. And especially with the interweaving of things, which I will get into in my number five, which would be the interweaving of Angela's grandfather's memories while under the influence of nostalgia. That was a big thing for me, seeing his memories, uh, the black and white coloring, as you said, of the episode, along with some of the colored figures during the merging of memories was really cool because you had the piano player was in color for mm-hmm. every transition or there was a specific person that was colorized within the black and white as she went from memory to memory. Yeah, and I've got this later in my notes as well. When we when we get to it, I'll talk about it a little bit more. Okay. Uh, so that brings us to my number four. Yes. Uh, my number four is just, the, and I, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because I don't. It's just, I think the racial, the racial, the racial tension in this episode was written, written for these actors. It was played very well by each of them. I, I think the the music really served a good purpose of showing that tension, and it. And oh, actually, this is where where I was had this uh, this note about the vision. So what what I noticed, you, you said that interweaving of color with the black and white. What I noticed today, as I was rewatching this, is when it's when it's a it's so it's Angela is experiencing her grandfather's memories. It's black mm-hmm. and white, and then when within that memory, if there's a flashback or if there's a vision of something from her grandfather's past, like. If at that moment, 50 years ago, he was remembering something from his childhood, then that moment would be in color. So, like, that's his mother playing the piano, like she did in mm-hmm. the first episode when she was practicing for the the different movie theater stuff. And then, like, when he sees the – and then – or if it's a, if it is especially important moment, like the bodies being dragged behind the police car, those were in color. Yes, so and then at the end when he burns when he burns the warehouse as he's watching the warehouse burn he reflects back to his childhood and watching Tulsa burn and that is in color as well. So it was it was really cool how they did the cinematography and how they they did each of these filtering of these scenes it with color and and black and white and then especially going back to the scenes that we've already seen from previous episodes. Oh, definitely. And it it's weird because the black and whites seem to be pretty much just a memory, whereas mm-hmm. that is that those colored moments in Will's memory apparently are in color 
are they very particular or are it, or you know the colored versions being particular or are the black and whites very vague in his memory and that's why yeah. they went black and white it, it's kind of like what is the altered illusion or the reality of what his memories were that's yeah. what's concerning yeah. me because for all we know it could be very very you know distorted in some respect Oh, well, like all of our memories are. I mean, none of us remember things exactly. Vividly. You know, and, and I think that was what we what we got to see in this in this episode. Was we got to see the nature of memory is that, especially if it's a memory within a memory, and that's what I think we were getting here with those pills, is that the stuff that's in color, that's the memory within a memory, and that's the stuff that we, we, we maybe can question a little bit. I think the black and white ones are pretty accurate. There there might be some, you know, some distortion there, but uh, I, I um, yeah, that's an interesting thought yeah. of, of what might be the true, what's true, and what's... Well, just like the whole thing, and I think I've got it later, or I've got it in my notes, just like we see... The scene of the delicatessen mm-hmm. uh, or the market, the marketplace robbery that we saw in uh, episode one or two, depicted by American uh, Hero Story, very differently yes. than what we see the reality of what actually happened in that that market in real life. So I, I thought that was so. You're right. The nature of memory and then how that memory is being portrayed to the public is also just the fact that that. The public and whoever is writing this American hero story didn't know, obviously, because they kept it hidden, didn't know that Hooded Justice was a black man. Yeah. So, very cool. Yeah. And that would lead us to my number four. And that would be seeing Angela live those memories is extremely wild. You know, honestly, it's she's literally in the form of her grandfather at that point mm-hmm. in positions like you could cut away and it's him. And then you cut back. It's her in that guys like her in the police uniform when he's receiving his badge for the first time for the opening ceremony, uh, how segregated too that they are during that time. And I think Regina King does a great job with the emotional feelings within certain scenes that are meant for another character, which would be Will Reeves. Yeah. But you you could really feel the intensity of not because she is feeling for him by being in that, but I think those were his feelings that she was feeling and she had to portray them visually on screen well yeah just to, to, to jump to one of my uh i think it might even be my number one is that that in scene when we see she's the one sitting in the wheelchair as judd is hanging himself and we see the horror on her face and we know that will wouldn't have had horror on his face when he yeah so that's literally that's her living that's her feeling yeah. and her coming out of nostalgia at that point too yeah, that's her experiencing that memory for herself, and I wonder how that's going to play into the the future episodes. If we're going to see any kind of like PTSD or kind of depression or anxiety from her over the fact that she now has embedded in her head the memory of Judd hanging himself and of her telling him 
to hang himself. Yeah. You know, so that's uh, that's going to be interesting going forward to see what um, what becomes of that. So I'm very very interested in that. Let's see. My number three was uh, was that same thing. I've already talked a little bit about it. That change of events from the American hero story to what we see really happened. But I, I do like that whole uh, scene with agent Blake and Cal where they're talking to her as she's, you know, she's suspended in midair with her eyes are open. And, uh, you know, agent Blake <laughs> says, I'm, I'm looking at you now and your eyes are open, but there's no, no recognition. And it's pretty fucking freaky. You know, I thought, I thought that was, that was great. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, did you get, uh, was it just me or did you get a little bit of a total recall vibe there when from the, the scene in the hotel room? A little bit. When his, when his wife is trying to convince him that he's in a dream and not, in reality, I, yeah. I really, I really yeah. thought that the first time I watched it and thought that was I, it, kind of funny there. But well, I also got the the Matrix vibe too mm-hmm. for the you know it, it pretty much was done in a Matrix effect where we see him going through the window mm-hmm. and all the glass is suspended, but the way they move around one eighty from him to get to the front, and then we see Agent Blake in front of him talking to him. And the same thing with her husband too. When he was uh, trying, he reciting where she was born, who he was, Mm -hmm. her name, her birth date. They have children, things of that nature. And to me, it was just like them trying to suck her out of the matrix or something. Yeah, exactly. I I I really liked it. It Thought it was a great great scene there. Yeah, and well played by everybody. Yeah, definitely. They they. They got my awards for that. My number three would be uh, Nelson Garner and trying to induct Hooded Justice through Will Reeves. Obviously, he knew that he was, but also finding out that Nelson Garner is Captain Metropolis, which I find funny because it seems that he was the Hooded Justice in the beginning of the episode, but his hair was dark. Or am I wrong? I, I don't know. I didn't pick up on that, and I, I have to go back and check the cast list to see who it was that they had portraying White Hooded Justice at the beginning of the episode, if that was supposed to be the same guy. I don't th- I don't think so. Me neither. But that was definitely a a weird because I had to I watched I paid I paid particular attention to this scene today when I rewatched it because he comes into the apartment and he first starts acting like like he thinks Will is the one who's giving Hooded Justice the information. But then, of course, in the very next scene, we see them having sex together. And then afterwards, Will asks him, when did you know that I was Hooded Justice? And he says, "As soon I, I knew before. And Will's like, no, you didn't. And he's like, you're right. I knew as soon as I walked into that apartment, though, that it was you. And so I thought that was really interesting that it, it was there was also obviously it was it was played up there the the kind of double uh, intent there of and this kind of goes right into my number 2 as well talking about Nelson Gardner as Captain Metropolis that this whole idea that Will now has to live like almost a triple double lie I, I wasn't sure how uh, how you would sit because not only is he a a bi or gay black man who is pretending to be a straight black man but now he is a bi gay black man pretending to be a white masked hero 
you know? Yeah. So he's got this whole, there's this whole, and, and you can see, and I think that, I think that whole, all of that deception is what plays into there towards the end when we see his wife leave him. When, we, when he comes in after burning down the warehouse and he sees his son is painting his face white and he says, I want to be like you, daddy. And he's like, no, you're not going to ever be like me. And they have this argument. And then she eventually leaves and she says, I'm going to Tulsa and you're not, you know, because he says, oh, I can never go back there. And she goes, I'm pretty sure I didn't say you were coming with us. And so (laughs) she, you know, she makes that very clear that we're going back to Tulsa and you're not. And I don't want you anywhere near this family ever again. And that answers that question for us. Why Angela had no clue who he was for so long, you know? Yeah. Is that what I had? Yeah, that was pretty much what you had in your number two. Yeah, so that brings us to your number two. Yeah, which would be the investigation that Will does that leads him to the meatpacking warehouse. With uh, the owner of the meatpacking warehouse that called him the uh, bad racial word in the very beginning when he arrests him. And all the guys were doing a Cyclops thing, but Will did not know. And then finding the hidden subliminal message messaging set up and learning from it, you know, about that whole little circle around their head saying the Cyclops, that leads me to my number one, which we'll get into when I get to that. Um, well, and my number one is, is very similar, is is just that it comes to that investigation, to the fact that the Minutemen are unwilling to to even address it or, or go after this group that Captain Metropolis basically tells him, oh, no, that's not something we do. And I, I really thought that told us a lot about who Nelson Gardner is and who Captain Metropolis was and just the idea that these heroes are more about uh, publicity stunts. They're more about endorsements. They're more about not really stopping crime, but stopping other masked or stopping masked villains. Yeah. Yeah. Or or villains. Definitely. They're, they're about stopping masked villains. And it, it really, you can see that you almost wonder if, and this goes back to that first scene that we talked about, was there any truth to what the cops because you know we already know that the american hero story is an unreliable narrative yeah so the fact that these feds had hooded justice supposedly in an interrogation room and hooded justice murdered them because after they told him that hit that captain metropolis was cheating on him with j edgar hoover you know how much of that was true how much of that uh, was was real is is another question that we may never get the full answer to. We may never know exactly why you know it it may not be hooded justice or will didn't break up with Nelson Gardner because of the uh, because of him of Nelson Gardner cheating on him, but it maybe it was because of this whole idea that Nelson Gardner wouldn't do this you know go after cyclops with him i don't know i I, it's it's going to be interesting to see like i said i don't i don't think this is a particular question that i don't think we're going to ever get an answer to and we don't really need an answer to it but it's just one of those kind of dangling threads that will make us all kind of wonder well was he cheating on him or wasn't he and what was the cause of them splitting and and all that so I do, I do love that in that final scene, again, this is part of all part of my number one. I counted the shots when he was shooting because it, it really, I gasped audibly 
when he shot Fred in the face. They're just in the middle of the street. I was like, what? Like, I had expected him maybe to go back and get his hooded justice costume and then come back to the warehouse. But no, like, he right there, he's got the hood. He puts it over his face. He doesn't even bother to paint his eyes. And he goes in through the warehouse. And, you know, he doesn't bother to paint his eyes because he's going to kill everybody. And he shoots, he shoots, and he shoots six times. And then when he gets to the guy who's doing the recording for the movie, the the mesmerism movie, his gun clicks. And I really like that because there's so many shows that, you know, either the prop masters or the writers or whoever don't really pay attention to how many shots have been fired. And you've got this guy shooting a revolver, a six-shot revolver, and they're shooting seven, eight, nine shots, and they never show them reload. So it was really nice to see that click or hear that click and then have (laughs) him beat the guy to death with the the revolver. So I, I liked that. And then, of course, I've already talked about the scene where he burns that warehouse, and then we see him flash back to his uh, his childhood when he watched Tulsa burn. And for you listeners, if you really want to hear about how Steve goes into counting shots, <laughs> go back and listen to our Punisher reviews, because <laughs> he goes into detail about that a lot, <laughs> and he knows... There were a few because Punisher did a good job. I'm not gonna lie; they did a good job of keeping track of that. I, I, I liked it. So. You did pick up on a few though uh, between yeah. that and Jessica Jones, I believe too. So, yeah. but uh, that would lead me to my number one, and my number one is that shocking finding out that it was Will that killed the commander the whole time using Moloch's quote unquote Moloch's. Um, mesmerism. Apparently, that's what uh, Gardner was pointing for, uh, Captain Metropolis, stating that they had to go against Moloch. So I don't know if that was a setup for him to go after that and find out the truth from Gardner. But I thought how it unraveled in a sense that it came around where Will was trying to convince Gardner to get all the Minutemen to wrap around the idea of taking down Cyclops, but having finding out that at the meat marketplace where he killed that man, the owner, and then finding out the whole mesmerism thing, and then taking that for his own for later usage that we find out where he kills the commander with that, with the flashlight and everything, and able to find out that, yes, that he was the one, and for his particular reasons, his kind of like interrogation of the commander of why did why did you hold on to your grandfather's KKK hooded outfit and leave it in the back hidden if you are regarding your elders why are you not proud of them to show that up front and when the commander turns around and he's out of being mesmerized he says there's more to it than you know and in certain ways there you're Basically, there's a lot left out that Will did not know, and we find out exactly how he was able to be hung, which was, you know, to manipulate the commander to hang himself. So we got that answer out, finally. (laughs) And this is going to be an interesting thing that I wonder how much we're going to find out, because you're right, there is some confusion here as to whether, you know, was Moloch, was it just coincidence that Moloch was putting together this mesmerism weapon where at the same time Cyclops was putting together this mesmerism weapon to yeah. get black people to to turn on each other because that was the, the that was what they were trying to do. And then of course with Will taking that 
you know, what, mm-hmm. what is the, and how did he get that tech? Cause you know, obviously he had to update that tech from being a, a projector bulb to being that little handheld flashlight that he had. So we see it was that something that Dan Dryberg maybe helped with? Was that, did, did they somehow set up Moloch in this, in that they, it's, yeah, I think this is more stuff that we're going to find out later on. And I, I, or Lady True. Yeah. Maybe Lady True created that for him. Yeah. Because he's been working with Lady True. Right. So, you know, where, where was it? And like you said, the, the chief says there's more to it than you know. And uh, Will doesn't even want to hear it. He just, all he believes is that, wait, you were part of the KKK, so you need to hang. And that was it. And yeah. yet we have this idea that, I mean, I could totally see, I could see both sides of it with, with Judd. I could see him mm-hmm. wanting to keep that outfit because it was his grandfather's. It was a kind of a legacy, but also he didn't want to put it out in front because he just want everybody to know what his grandfather did. But you know, so yeah. it is. It is. Well, it's also. I think Judd kept it in the sense of it reminded him of what they're fighting for, and it came from his family, and that's why he does what he does. But it, it's a reminder to him to do the right thing, mm-hmm. and Will did not see that or perceived that when he went after him and that's probably what judd was trying to tell him before he got mesmerized and sent up to hang himself i'm not trying to play uh, devil's advocate for the no no at this point we don't know and i'm i'm hoping we find out it's like that's one of the things that I'm, I'm sure because again there's some confusion about as far as what is the seventh cavalry's involvement is the seventh yeah. cavalry a kkk organization and or we they not um yeah you know, now it's starting to sound like they're not involved in as that. much yeah. an affiliation. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, and just the fact that like the Senator was saying that he controlled one aspect and Judd controlled a different aspect. And so was the Senator controlling the KKK and Judd was controlling something else. What was the, you know, because we get this, we get this indication maybe that Judd, if he wasn't part of the Seventh Cavalry, then that means he wasn't. He didn't have a an involvement in the Dark Knight when all those police officers who were killed and Angela uh, survived. And he and Angela were the only. Or they said there's three cops who survived. We still don't know who the third cop was. Yeah, who survived the the Dark Knight? We know that Judd is one. We know that Angela is one. We still don't know who the third cop who survived was. So I, it's, it's going to be interesting to see because – and I go back to what we talked about a few episodes ago when we got that flashback of the Dark Knight mm-hmm. is what happened to Cal. Where She gives Cal a gun and the next thing we see is she's facing off with two Seventh Cavalry members. So now I'm starting to wonder if the third cop was Cal and – that that's why two Seventh Cavalry members went to her house because everywhere else, Judd says one. There was just one sent to each house, but her house had two. two. And so I wonder if that's because there were two police officers there. And the accident she was talking about a few weeks, a few episodes ago, was not an accident that happened in Vietnam, but it was something that happened on the dark night that prompted Cal to not go back to the police force. I now and I'm just I'm literally just now spouting this. So if this ends up being wrong, <laughs> it's wrong. But I'm I'm literally just starting. It's this is the wheels are starting to spin in my head as far as who this third cop is and how Angela survived 
that because you know we saw her kill one and then the second the next thing we see another guy's got her dead to rights and he's about to kill her mm-hmm. and the next thing we know she's waking up in the hospital mm. so yeah now i'm uh, now i'm start i don't know I, it's it's all it's uh, it's all a bunch of questions and yeah we haven't really seen much of panda and maybe no cow is panda he's the one ooh maybe that's a good <laughs> That's an interesting thought. I mean, yeah, we, we have not seen a backstory. We've seen Looking Glass, and we got Wade. Yeah, we already know Angela's name. We already know Will. Mm-hmm. We already know about Judd. Yeah, we know that Red Scare is is a white man. We know that Pirate Jenny is a white female. Yeah, and we know that we know that Panda appears to be at least an African American male. Mm-hmm. So, ooh, that's a good theory, Mark. If <laughs> Cal is Panda, that puts everything into a whole new spin mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. That would be interesting. He doesn't necessarily have to be a police officer, but he could just be posing as Panda because every time we see him, he's got what? Yep. A panda. He's got mask on. on. Yeah, we've never seen him without the mask. So, yeah. interesting, interesting theory. All right. Well, um, we had a couple of quotes here. Um, I only <laughs> did we do your number one? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the only quote I had is that uh, in during the American at the very beginning of the episode during the American Hero story uh, reenactment, the the one Fed you know does all the talking, and the other Fed literally his only line is sex stuff, <laughs> sex stuff. <laughs> like I think like three times he says sex stuff. You know, <laughs> so it just made me laugh the 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 couple of times I watched it. Going really is that all this guy had to say? Literally, he's sex stuff, <laughs> so, sex stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mine would be only Lieutenant Battle. Uh, beware of the Cyclops to Will Reeves during graduation. That kept ringing in my ear as I was watching the episode. That one yeah. that lasted. I don't think it's going to go away. I think that's going to come back again somewhere in the future. Yeah, and that was another one of those scenes that we got to see the racial tension, how the, 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 the white... Uh, guy that gave the kind of the speech there to be in graduation he's pinning all that on each officer and saying the same line to them and then he just skips right over will and lets lieutenant battle yeah give him his badge and say his line so yeah yeah uh cool um so we had a couple of notes here yeah you want to just go back and forth and we'll see sure what we've already talked about and we haven't because that first one of yours we have not talked about yet yeah uh there was a scene where angela is still in will's memories and she's coming out of the precinct, and she goes to the newsstand. And the newsstand clerk is there reading an Action Comics number one with Superman on the cover. It's legendary. Everybody knows what it is. I thought that was amazing. A great callback that the characters in The Watchmen are not in the same universe as the other DC heroes in their own universe. We don't get Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, none of that. So I thought that was a great nod to that particular universe. And that's really good because that is something I would not have picked up on at all. Like I, I saw the guy was reading a comic book and it was Superman because he talks about, oh, well, you know, he sends the baby off and before the planet gets destroyed, which I just keyed in on that being similar to the first episode with Will's parents, you know, sending him off as Tulsa is burning So. The first note I had is that uh, I, th- when I was watching this for the very first time, as soon as that Fed said, 
No one even knows that you're in the room with us. I knew they were dead. I knew I was just like, oh, that was bad choice of words, man, because now he knows that he can kill you and nobody even knows what's going on. It did surprise me a little bit when they had him take off his hood, Mm -hmm. because what was the purpose of taking off his hood if he was just going to kill the guys? But I I think that the taking off of his hood kind of put those guys at ease to where they thought, oh, he's going to you know comply with everything we're telling him. And so he takes the hood off and as soon as they're like say cheese and he's like smashing the guy with the face that fight scene in the interrogation in the interrogation room was really i i'm a i am a sucker for those kind of cramped corner elevator fight scenes cramped uh kind of fight scenes i think those are really great to see yeah yeah that one took me back to captain america civil war yeah not civil war uh uh, the Winter Soldier. Yeah, and where he was in the elevator and he had to fight those guys. So to me, I, I really enjoyed that scene in a sense. Plus, you know, the choreography was amazing, and they seem to be doing great with that within these comic shows. Because if you think back at it with Daredevil and what they did down with that hallway with that one shot scene, mm-hmm. that was amazing. So a lot of people yeah. looking into these shows and thinking, okay. Well, they're not just super powered beings, and these are people are of technique, and almost similar to that that fight scene where in the Watchmen movie, when you see the Owl Two and Silk Spectre take out those people oh, in the, in the, in the alleyway. alleyway. Yeah, 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 you're right. Very much, you're very right. similar in that aspect. So. Uh, kudos to that, and I, I just love that idea. You know, it doesn't have to be a super-powered human being all the time. Yeah. Just like Batman. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my second note was just, uh, and I think it, it, I don't think I need to wonder about it at all, that tree where Will hanged Judd is the same tree where the cops started or tried to to hang him. I think that was very, yeah. that I, it was definitely the same tree. He brought them, he brought them out, even though it's 50 years or so later, the tree was similar enough that we know that that's the same, the same tree. Yeah. So I thought that was, it, that it, was a kind it, of cool. it come full circle mm-hmm. at that point. And I think that's what it meant. Uh, my next note would be Angela's makeup is similar to Will's, which he has under the hood, but they are pretty much opposite, but the same all at once. One strip of white over his eyes, and then one strip of black over Angela. Yeah, I didn't even like that is a great catch. I did not even pick up on that at all. That was that was a, a really really great catch for you there. My next one was just I wonder and maybe Damon Lindelof talks about it on his podcast or not. But I think do you what do you think Alan Moore would think of this change in character because and I and maybe you know Alan Moore was the writer of the graphic novel. For those that, that don't know, uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons wrote the Watchmen. Dave Gibbons was the artist and Alan Moore was the writer for mm. the Watchmen comics. And Alan Moore is notorious for not liking any adaptation of his work. In fact, I was reading today the trivia that he had his name completely taken off the V for Vendetta movie, yep. any kind of movie or TV show that has been done about his work. He doesn't want even any acknowledgement that he that he was part of it. So I wonder what he would think of this change in the character or if it's something that 
you know, is this something that Damon Lindelof just came up with on his own of making Hooded Justice be a black man who was pretending to be a white man, or if that was something underlying in the comic book? Because I don't think so. No, it, think it, it wasn't. It wasn't in the comic. Yeah, so this has to be just a, a completely an invention of Damon Lindelof's in this in this writing, and in, in that I find that kind of interesting. Well, it, it's very intriguing, but the thing is, is Alan Moore is very particular, loves his work, and doesn't want it to be touched like a lot of artists. So I think that's really and and if you watch. And there are a lot of interviews with Alan Moore online on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And I recommend all your listeners, if you want to get a peek into the mind of Alan Moore, there are a bunch of them out there. And they actually top on the idea of Watchmen, what he thought of the movie. Well, yeah, I know that. I wonder, I would love to know what he thinks of the TV show. I would love to know how badly, if he doesn't like it, if he likes it, if he's okay with it, or if he's Or even watched it. Yeah, if he's even watched it, yeah, because obviously he's given up the rights to it. I would assume yeah. anyway at this point, and and so it just it, it just found interesting that this complete character change for Hooded Justice. Yeah, well, certain artists are a lot like that. Like Stephen King didn't like Kubrick's version of The Shining, mm -hmm. and look at what happened. He hates it to this day. And with uh, Doctor Sleep, he actually loved it because even though it was a mesh between the movie and the actual book that they did with the the continuation of his story, which he wrote. He enjoyed Dr. Sleep, but I think that certain artists are very much like that. You know, I believe Jay Obar wasn't really completely happy with The Crow when they made it into a film. He was happy with, I believe, with Brandon Lee's performance, his portrayal, but there were certain aspects of the character that was not in the movie, and I think that's what Alan Moore has a problem with. And I don't blame him as, you know. Oh, I'm sure. Alan, I don't blame him at all. It's just, it, I just find oh, it it's one of those things that just stood out to me as interesting, that that's such a major character change. Mm -hmm. uh, from the comic to this TV show and and in the movie, because Hooded Justice was portrayed in the movie, the the few scenes we saw of him as being a... In fact, I think the, the movie even follows the comic of him being like a Russian wrestler or a Russian uh, weightlifter or something like that. So I have one last one, and then you could go along. Yeah. But the uh, I love the idea of the Ink Spot song. Uh, it's a band that was out around that time and they were called the ink spots and the song was i don't want to set the world afire <laughs> and during the fight scene with mask just uh hooded justice uh during the meat market when we see where angela is suspended and everything that that happens within that i found it fitting for the scene it, it tells a lot of what is going on with angela and with will or with angela in will's mind also the song was sampled just a little bit a side note of that song uh, I love the band Megadeth, but they uh, they did a song of the same name, and it introed into that particular song, but in this case, it's meant for helping out for someone who has the same intentions for someone that they love or something that they feel compelled for, uh, basically in Will's and Angela's view, taking care of people, mm -hmm. even if it means to do battle with others. Because that's what they both were doing. But obviously, we see what happened with Will. And we know where Angela is and going back in time or into those memories. The Megadeth version was just about an apocalypse based on superpowered governments destroying one another for their own form of power and justice. Which 
kind of resembles what's going on in this story in some respects, too, because there's a lot of manipulation. Sure. And I think the government is involved with it. And that's why they brought up uh, J. Edgar Hoover, his sexploitations with Hooded Justice no, in the very Nelson beginning. Gardner. With Nel- uh, yeah. Gardner. Yeah. Well, the, the corrupted version, I right. should say. Right, yeah, with Captain uh, Metropolis, that it was, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So basically, I, I think they're they're kind of melding, and I think they they probably took that into consideration when they used the actual song. So I, I you know, nods to them, and then it, it makes me want to uh, you know get a copy of all the music that's been played in the show and hear that. I I just recently I just watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and the score, the music that's in it yeah. from that time is amazing. Really good. So. I, I love listening to that stuff, even, you know, it's within the 70s, 60s, or what have you, but it puts you in that mindset of what's going on at that time. For sure, for sure. The only the only note I have that we haven't already talked about is the fact, and, we, and I'm surprised we didn't bring it up before this, is that the baby that Will saved in that field is now his wife. Yep. And that they apparently grew up together, or at least grew up knowing of each other. But of course, then they have this falling out, and uh, and they separate. I just thought that was that was really interesting. I was listening to another podcast where they brought this up, and they thought it was kind of strange that you know if they were brought up together as brother or sister, which or as brother and sister, which we don't know that for sure that they were that they were raised as brother and sister. Um, I don't think so. But I don't see – I think it's only in TV and maybe movies where we see this kind of inconsistency where foster kids – you know, it wouldn't surprise me foster kids that grew up together fall in love. I, I don't see – I wasn't a foster kid, so I don't know, and maybe I'm completely wrong on this, but – you know, it's if they're not they're not biologically brother and sister. What's the what's wrong with just because they were they were raised together? You know. Yeah, exactly. But if you look at the CW right now with the Flash, Barry Allen, you know, his father was put to prison because he was sentenced for the death of his wife. So you know, uh, Barry's father was you know seen as the murderer of his own wife, and then Barry was sent to go live with John West. I think, or Joe West, and Joe West has a daughter, so he gets involved later on with Joe West's daughter and eventually marries her, but he grew up with her, too, so they, he was pretty much like a foster kid as well. Yeah, I just don't see how how there's a problem with this. I just, it, just isn't, it just doesn't seem... I. I don't know. I, I mean, there's no, there's literally no biological connection to them exactly at, with them at all. So anyway, so it just it was one of those interesting things. It is um, interesting. So uh, we had one piece of feedback that came in from our Facebook page, and that was from Derek. And <laughs> all Derek said was, "All I'm going to say is the cinematography in this episode is absolutely stunning." I'm not going to try to do it in your accent, Derek. Uh, <laughs> You're you're a great podcaster, and I agree completely with you. The cinematography in this episode was was amazing. Derek and the guys over at TV Podcast Industries do a great podcast about The Watchmen. Yeah, we always recommend everybody go listen to them. They are very much heralded in what's going on with Watchmen. So if you listen to us and you've never listened to them, listen to us, go listen to them. 
or yeah, give them a listen. They they do. I will I will give props to those guys. They do a lot more research than we do. Oh yeah, they dig into the PDpedia and they they listen to other podcasts about Watchmen. So I uh, I give props to them and uh, definitely recommend the TV podcast industries podcast. Definitely. And with our talk of the series as a whole and what we thought about the current episode, I really like this episode. I just wish there was a lot more in it. Other characters, maybe. This did give us an idea of who Will Reeves is and how he started, how he was involved with the Minutemen and how they came to be and why he left in some respect. It was a bottled episode, as we love to talk about that in all podcasting land. Uh, (laughs) You know, seeing through Angela's eyes, basically, which was pretty much needed because we needed that information. I would have hoped it would have been a little bit longer with a little bit more information, maybe get some, like you were stating in the very beginning, a little bit more information about Wade and what happened with that. Yeah, no, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with you completely, but I, I do, like I said at the beginning, I didn't even notice that we didn't get Wade's, uh, the, the answer to, to Wade's fate at the beginning. It didn't even dawn on me until long after watching the episode that, oh yeah, we didn't find out about Looking Glass. I I really loved that even though this episode did not propel our story further, it gave us a lot of information that we didn't know. It confirmed a lot of things for us, and I, I'm with you. I, uh, I wish it might have been a little bit longer, but not. I, I would have liked to have fleshed out more of his investigation, of, of seeing what more he did as far as to to locate these guys. I would have liked to have seen what did he do with that projector after his wife left? Because that's the last thing we see before she gets to the memory of Judd being hanged is we see that projector on the counter, his wife and child are are, have left and we see the projector on the counter. And then we cut to will holding that strobe light. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. How did he develop that? Maybe we'll get it later. Mm. How he developed that, that device, what is going to happen? What was he referring to in the previous, the previous episode or the one before where he says in three days, um, or I guess it was two episodes ago where he said in three days, she's going to find out um, the most devastating thing about me or something like that. Mm. And if this isn't what that is, is that something? Is there something else besides the fact that he murdered? Uh, that he, I don't know if murdered is the right word for it, but he caused. He definitely caused the death of Judd. Yes. Whether whether you want to say he was guilty of murder or not, he definitely caused the death. He was the immense influence of deaths. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, but I am loving. I'm glad that we're back to an episode. I think both of us kind of the the last episode we we liked it, but it was kind of like a. You know, it gave us more questions than, or it answered a bunch of questions, but it, it kind of left us, or at least me, it left us a little bit, hmm, you know, <laughs> but that's okay. In a, in a nine, 10 episode series, you're, it's okay to have one that's a little bit, hmm. So. <laughs> that is true. So to continue on with uh, what we have, we have comic talk. Uh, I brought up yeah. a little bit of information. Uh, I was able to pick up the hardcover collection of Batman Deceased. In trade this week, I never picked up the individual comics. Uh, this is basically a zombie-style six-issue run story about Batman in the DC universe, and it's on my to-read list. Hopefully, come 
you know, my hiatus <laughs> with what's going on with <laughs> Walking Dead from Walking Dead talk through so I could actually concentrate on some reading of some of this stuff that I picked up. I suggest anyone interested to pick it up because uh, it's been heralded as a really good issue too. And there's a few avant-garde Batman Joker style comics that are out there that are limited. I think they're premiere styles in your comic shops. So, and I just have a little bit of Marvel movie news. Basically, Doctor Doom is most likely going to be the big villain in Black Panther 2. It's pretty much been speculated and highly regarded at this point uh, amongst a various amount of YouTubers and people who I've I've seen that uh, get information regarding this. Usually it's found on Reddit and all that good stuff, but apparently the leakers that are out there are highly regarded and usually their outcome is very accurate. I'm looking forward to that. I really hope that comes true and that will be because that will pretty much lead to the Fantastic Four movie coming out sooner than later. And I think we really need that at this point. Very cool. But uh, we have a special thanks to somebody who created our artwork, and that would be Kirk Manley. And thank you, Kirk, for the artwork for our podcast. Unfortunately, right now it's not on our feeds, for which would be Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play at the moment. Uh, we're working on getting that uploaded so that you could have that and you could see it. But you could definitely see it on our Facebook page. Eventually, we'll have that on our Twitter. We'll have it on an Instagram. So if you're interested in looking into Kirk's work, I always recommend check out Kirk Manley on his website, which would be www.studiokm.com. Or if you want to you know, look at Kirk's uh, interaction on Twitter, you could find him at BatmanKM and... Also, he's on Instagram, and that would be at BatmanKM as well. Or check out his art totally, because they have a specific, if you're interested, they have DeviantArt.com. So he could be found at BatmanKM.DeviantArt.com. So if you have something that you would like to hire Kirk to make for you, because he will do commission pieces you could actually commission kirk to do specific art for yourself if you want so you could actually ask him for a quote how much it would cost and uh he will definitely put it in so we highly recommend him and if you wanted to email him you could go kirk at studiokm.com very cool to submit feedback to our show you can go to our facebook page which is facebook.com slash panels to pixels or you can email us at panels to pixels one at gmail.com that's panels to pixels one the two is spelled out t-o right there in the middle and the number one at gmail.com you can also check out our website, which is panels to pixels podcast.com. That'll redirect you to our Facebook page. Every week we put out a spoiler, a feedback spoiler post that uh, you would put your feedback in that spot. <laughs> That's where Derek uh, put his feedback this week. And we again thank Derek for that. You can also send us a voicemail at 845 350 2095. That's 845 845- Three five zero two zero nine five, and we will play that on the podcast. And as Mark already mentioned, you can hear us on any of your podcast player of choice. We believe. Uh, I don't think there's any out there that we're not on, but maybe. 
<laughs> we are on uh, we are for sure on Spotify, Google Play, Apple iTunes, and uh, as Mark already mentioned, Stitcher and uh, a few others. Just search for Panels to Pixels podcast. Awesome. And you could also hear me. I'm the co-host on The Walking Dead Talk Through of Brian Malosh on Talk Through Media. We review The Walking Dead each week. This show, Panels to Pixels, will be on the Next Level Podcast Radio Network. We are staying here. But there will be a link for Talk Through Media and all its other podcasts because we love having other people listen to other podcasts to listen to as well. You know, listen to us or me at talkthroughmedia.com. I'm hoping to get on to the Picard cast, which, which actually will launch in January, at the end of January, after the first Picard episode. So you can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, just like here. You know, you can get it at Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher. We currently are on a lot of things right now. We're pretty much working out the website. We got our Facebook back for Talk Through Media com so through facebook so you could see all our past episodes of all the network so we are out of facebook jail thank god so keep in touch here or go to talkthroughmedia.com's website and just leave feedback if you're interested in the walking dead right now we finished up the mid-season finale we're taking a hiatus like i stated before so we're not going to be coming back until the end of february after the mid-season premiere comes out. So uh, I, if you're interested and you have not listened and you're interested in The Walking Dead, do go back and listen to those previous podcasts for this year. And uh, we would love to hear you from you. And if you could submit feedback, it would be awesome. Very cool. Yeah, and pay attention to Talk Through Media. You may even hear my voice on uh, those Walking Dead talk throughs with feedback or other ways. And I submit feedback to various podcasts. If you're listening to Strange Indeed, which is covering Season 2 of Castle Rock, I send them a feedback message every week. Also, if you are on the Next Level in Podcastica Network, Lost Revisited, the We Have to Go Back, Lost Revisited podcast, I send them a voicemail feedback each week as well so you can hear my voice on those podcasts yes and i think you might actually hear steve more probably after picard comes out because brian might not be able to make a bunch of shows so doing a three person podcast usually helps us out we have a good time at doing it so he might show up on the walking dead talk through talking as well absolutely so keep your ears out we're there as well so with that, thanks everyone for listening. I'm Mark. And I'm Steve. And this was Panels to Pixels. Good night, everybody. Good night. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart I have but one